Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down the block, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Now, this morning, we're going to start something new. We were uh, putting up some things on our Instagram story last night, got a lot of responses, spoke to a lot of people, and a lot of people let me know that we have so many podcasts that drop on here, which is sensational. Everyone's loving the content, but we don't get around to hearing everything, and sometimes people just want a bit of a longer form of content. So, run the idea by a couple of people. People told me they're really keen for it. Every Sunday morning, we're going to have the best of the week, so I'll be combining about four or five of our short shorter podcast throughout the week. You'll have an hour-long episode on a Sunday that you can listen to when you're doing your chores on a Sunday, uh, hungover in bed, going for a walk, going to the gym on a Sunday, whatever it might be. On a Sunday morning, we're going to have the best of the week that's just gone. So in today's first installment of the best of, we talk about Sean Johnson and his character arc. We've got the scope, Justin Horrow. He named on the YKTR mag his best team's from the hubs. So all the Sydney teams that have gone up to the hubs, including the the Brisbane Broncos and the Melbourne Storm as well, he's included those. So we go through the best 17 that that he made of each of those sides, which is a really interesting chat. We also have our full Origin 3 review, which we recorded straight after the game on Wednesday night. Really good chat there. And then we also talk about the Melbourne Storm. We recorded this one a couple of days ago, of course. They went into the bubble last night against the uh, Newcastle Knights in their first game. Knights playing their first game since going into the bubble the Melbourne Storm they've been there they've done it before missing probably five or six international players we're talking Christian Welsh Josh Adokar Ryan Pappenhausen Harry Grant the list goes on and on and they absolutely gave it to them I think that going to this pub is going to be a big advantage for the Melbourne Storm all these podcasts they're just going to play back to back all of my best thoughts coming from the week in my opinion go for about an hour or so so plug it in get stuck into it and enjoy yourself I'm going to let it roll now guys
Tell you what, one guy has really stood out for me really recently, and um, I heard Isaac John on YKTR talking about this on a different podcast during the week, and it made me sort of sit back and think about it, and it's something that I haven't really given a heap of thought to recently, to be honest with you, but one guy that is real, his character arc has been unreal, and by character arc, you know, when you're watching a movie and someone starts out as a bad guy, they turn into a good guy, or they start out as useless, they turn into very useful, and they change over the... Um, the feature of a narrative and I, I sort of think one guy that I think his character arc has been unreal and I use the example of you know bad to good it's not that situation at all but I just think he's matured really nicely as he's moved on and I think he had it pretty tough when he first came in as much as it all looked like it was good fun it was a lot of attention it was great came with a lot of pressure and that's Sean Johnson now Shawnee J, he burst onto the scene. Like, we knew Sean Johnson from YouTube before we knew Sean Johnson playing footy. He burst onto the scene for the Warriors, this team that had been built around flamboyant style of play, throwing the ball around, see what happens. If it works, it works. It's great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll just suck another coach over the next few years. There'll be all this pressure. There'll be calls for more Aussies to come into the team, blah, blah, blah. You know the whole narrative with the New Zealand Warriors. And this kid... He came in in 2011, and as I said, we'd seen him on YouTube. I remember when I was in high school watching these highlights uh, of him playing touch football just on repeat in the green singlet, jumping around, just doing things that we hadn't really seen anyone do before. And 2011, Sean Johnson, he burst onto the scene, has some unbelievable plays. I don't think we'll ever forget that try that he sort of scored up at Suncorp Stadium against the Brisbane Broncos. That was unreal. And, you know, a couple of guys I've spoken to that were part of that New Zealand Warriors team, just talking about Sean Johnson when he first came onto the scene, that, you know, you could just tell he was going to be special just by the way he kicked the ball. Because he just had that balance. He just had that sense. And not even in a game, just just at training, just the way he did things, you could just tell this kid was going to be different. And, of course... You know, he takes the Warriors all the way to the grand final that year. He has that that semi-final against the New Zealand Warriors where he lays that try on um, against the Melbourne Storm, sorry, where he lays that try on for Lewis Brown that was just unbelievable. You had you had Kevin Proctor, you had Cooper Cronk defending on that right edge for the Melbourne Storm, and Sean Johnson just goes under, under, shows it twice, and you just see... For just about the only six seconds of Cooper Cronk's career, he was completely out of control. He had no idea what was happening in front of him. And for years, the Melbourne Storm, you know, they were close to untouchable. The one team that could worry them constantly was the Melbourne Storm because they brought this new variety of football, this new style of football that... Well, not this new style. The Warriors have been doing it for decades, realistically. But it got into a real structured period, Rugby League. And all of a sudden, you had a guy like Sean Johnson who was happy to flick the ball, throw the ball, not watch what he was doing, show it and go a few times, sometimes play a little bit selfishly as well. Like, he had this raw ability to just be able to do things you hadn't seen before. And that's one try I'll never forget because it's the one moment where Kevin Proctor looks silly and, and Cooper Cronk looked like he wasn't in control of a situation, which was very rare. Puts Lewis Brown over for that try. They win that game. Um, they also had the game against the West Tigers. It was a bit controversial, but just, you know, unbelievable. And just see him playing a grand final in his first year next to James Maloney, who at the time... You know, James Maloney now is regarded as a great. We love Jimmy the Je- uh, Jimmy Maloney. But back then, I mean, this is a guy that had just been brushed from Parramatta. He'd been brushed from the Melbourne Storm. Really, not much doing. Um, I mean, he was essentially the same as like a Sam Williams sort of character. And if I said to you, hey, in the next three years, Sam Williams is going to win two comps. One of them is going to be the first comp that that team wins in 50 years. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't believe it. But that's sort of where James Maloney was at, realistically. Um, and for Sean Johnson to burst on the scene that year, do unbelievable things. He really was the face of the New Zealand Warriors for a long time and made it to the grand final. We all tipped Sean Johnson was going to be a huge success. He was a gun in Supercoach, which helps, um, 
your which helps how you're respected in rugby league, I think, especially by a lot of fans. If you're carving up in Supercoach, you got a couple of hundred thousand people playing fantasy sport that love you even more because of that. I think it makes you more relevant. He was a guy that he came from touch football and then he dominated rugby league. I mean, kids loved him. I remember when I was a teenager, I used to love watching Sean Johnson. I still do. But when you're young and you, you see this guy doing things that no one else is doing and playing essentially backyard footy and dominating at an NRL level, you just become a superstar straight away. He became an overnight star, Sean Johnson. Um, a couple more years at the Warriors. I mean, bit of a mixed bag. Still had these incredible highlights. When he was on, he was unreal. But, you know, a lot of the time it would be disappointing with Sean Johnson. And he's the sort of guy that he couldn't close out a game. He's not the sort of guy that you could rely on if you were up by six points. You, you're not overly sure in the last 20 minutes he's going to be able to close that game out. And that was sort of who the New Zealand Warriors were. And then they brought in the Auckland Nines. Now, the Auckland Knights, that might as well have been called the Sean Johnson Cup. Let's be perfectly honest with you. He was the best player. If he wasn't the best player at every one of those competitions, he was in the top three. I'd even argue top two. The New Zealand Warriors, though, being the New Zealand Warriors, never lifted the trophy. And it's crazy to think they used to go into those competitions as $2.50, $3 favourites. They would pick an absolute star-studded team. It would be in New Zealand. They'd always have the flashiest jerseys. They would nail all the publicity around it. They had Sean Johnson, an absolute superstar. They had other guys in that team that was unreal as well. I mean, you look over the years, you had that year with Roger Tuovasashek, you had Sam Tompkins, Connie Harrell, these sort of guys that were just made for this form of rugby league. Um, And Sean Johnson just... Would always have the highlights. They'd normally make the grand final or at least the prelim finals for that nines competition, but could just never get the job done. But once again, you would get to the end of that nines tournament and if you you put together a highlights package of Sean Johnson, fuck me. Just unreal football. Can just do stuff that no one else can in a game that was literally made for Sean Johnson. Still not able to lift the trophy. And there was a lot of whispers around Sean Johnson. Like, is he a guy that can actually win anything? I understand he's got huge highlights. It's great. But can he win anything? And I mean, obviously he went and won the Golden Boot. He featured in a couple of huge games to New Zealand, pulled off a couple of big moments. I remember one game against the Kangaroos. He threw a couple of cutout balls or he hit Manu Vatabai for tries that were just unreal. Just incredible what he was able to do. And I mean, I guess, you know, we look at Sean Johnson and what he's done for the culture of the game. It's been unreal. He's inspired a wave of, you know, Kiwi superstars to play the way they want to play off the back of what Benji Marshall did. But Benji Marshall won a premiership, yeah. Benji Marshall won a World Cup, so there's a lot. Benji's probably achieved more than what Sean has, and he's probably a better player, don't get me wrong, but Sean has been just critical in everything that is rugby league, but he never really won anything. Yeah, He won a golden boot, which you know is, is very impressive. It's a great re- award, but you sort of, I mean, what means more, a Dallium or a golden boot? I know it's for the best player in the world, but I think if you go to any NRL fan, you say, which one holds more respect, golden boot or Dallium? I think they're going to lean towards Dallium. And realistically, the Daly Emma Award, we don't really hold that much respect for that either, realistically. So I just don't think Sean's ever been a true winner. And I sort of, when he left the Warriors, everyone went, what the hell, can't believe it. And I sort of thought, you know what, I think this is a good decision. I think it's a good decision for Sean. And I think it's a good decision for the New Zealand Warriors. I think they've become a little bit stagnant with Sean Johnson being the player he was, that he wasn't able to take them to that next level. They handed the keys to Roger Tuovasashek. He came in and won a Daly M. He was unreal. Um, Sean Johnson went to Cronulla, which was a very interesting move. But right now... I don't think Sean is playing with the same height. Well, over the last 18 months, I don't think he's got the same highlights as what he used to. He doesn't have that sort of Auckland Nines style footy about him. But my God, he's been composed. His kicking game has improved out of sight. His under, his, the way that he understands a game has been unreal. Uh, he's just he's just developed so much as a seven. I think it's very, very impressive from Sean Johnson. And I think over the last year or so, he's really developed as a man too and as a person. 
he now becomes a guy that sort of speaks for the players. He's a guy that has an opinion that is just so highly respected by fans and players now. And I mean, when you think back to the kid that was just diving around and stepping and hopping around the place, looked like he had no idea what he was doing, but it was working for him to develop into who he is now. I think it's a, it's a it's a fantastic achievement by Sean. I think it was highlighted the other day. He finished that game against the against the New Zealand Warriors, his former team and the team he's going to play with next year. Fox Sports, they shoved a microphone in his face. And this is something that I didn't even think about at the time. I didn't even think about it. But Justin Horror and Isaac John pointed it out on one of their podcasts the other day, saying that, you know, this guy just come off the field playing 80 minutes and he gets told that his world's about to be turned upside down for a month and, they, and Fox Sports just shoved a microphone in his face and expected a reaction out of him and honest with you, could Sean Johnson have handled this situation any better? I'm just going to play a really short clip for you of this entire scene and how it played out and how well Sean Johnson handled this situation. And the audio probably doesn't do it justice because you cannot see the reaction on his face. You can see the devastation. And then he speaks about why he is so devastated. But the way he handles it is just so impressive. He's become a fantastic role model in our game. And I've been really, really impressed with Sean Johnson. I'm just going to play the audio for you now quickly. A good win, and we'll get onto it in a sec. But it's breaking news that's happened while you're playing. The whole NRL, the New South Wales teams, all 12, are moving to Queensland for four weeks at least. Your immediate reaction to that? <laughs> uh, it's disappointing. Um, yeah, I've got my views on um, how Sydney, in particular, have handled this whole COVID situation. But look, as long as we still get to keep playing, I guess, and um, ultimately this is our job, man. So whatever it takes to um, you know, deliver what we get paid to do, then, um, yeah, I'm sure, you know, all the players will get on board with it. Does it make it tough as well? You have a young family oh. and there's plans with that being yeah, sorted out? Yeah, it's not out. ideal. Um, you know, a lot of people probably even watch this interview right now and say, oh, you get paid a heap of money, just do what you're told. But uh, we got lives outside of football. I've got a young family. Um, got no support over here anyway. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a difficult conversation to go home to my wife. But... Um, Look, ultimately, at the end of the day, like I said from the top, man, this is our job. And um, as long as we can still play and um, pick up some wins along the way, then uh, we'll keep doing it, man. I just think that was incredibly well handled from Sean Johnson. Obviously, a moment where he's gassed, coming off the field, exhausted after playing a big game of footy, gets hit with that sort of news that's going to turn his life upside down for a couple of weeks. And I understand, you know, we're all in a similar situation. We're all in lockdown or whatever it might be, but... I, I'd never really thought Sean would be this guy, to be honest with you. I never thought he'd be a guy that would be the voice for the players and a really responsible voice. I never th- I never imagined he would be in this role. I think that as a leader in our game, I think Sean, he has just developed so well. And I think the Warriors, in particular, have absolutely nailed this. I think they have done a fantastic job by letting this guy go. And I think they've brought him back at the perfect time. Obviously, Roger Tuovasashek is leaving, which is hugely disappointing uh, for the New Zealand Warriors, but far out, they're getting a real leader back in Sean Johnson. I have no doubt that when he walks back into this Warriors building, it's going to be a new Sean Johnson that none of them have ever seen before. Am I saying they're going to win a premiership? Am I guaranteeing success? No, I'm not. But I'll tell you what, they're getting a real leader. They're losing a true leader in Roger Tuovasa-Shek, and to get Sean back, I think this is going to be massive. As I said, I never, ever thought Sean Johnson would be this guy, and I just thought he handled that so well. you got to imagine being told that when you are tired after playing an entire game of footy, you're high after beating your former team, the team you're going to next year. That game would have meant a lot to Sean Johnson. And for him to get that news, 
It's all running through his head that he has to go home, tell his wife. He has to move up to Queensland. They've got no support here. They're both from New Zealand. They moved over here recently. I believe they had a daughter just a couple of months ago, um, their first child as well. So, like, there's a lot of, God, a lot that goes into that for Sean Johnson to be thinking in that exact moment. And I just thought he handled it so well straight away, talking about how obviously there will be people sitting home who will go, tough shit, deal with it, blah, blah, blah. But... I mean, I think people have to realise the sacrifice these kids are making. I believe that I've just heard... Sorry, not these kids, these players are making. I believe I've just heard that uh, Aaron Woods, he's not going to be going into the bubble for the Cronulla Sharks. He's got a baby due over the next week or so. And, I mean, I wouldn't hold it against Aaron Woods for that in any way, shape or form. It's obviously going to be a more important time in his life, uh, the birth of his of his child over going to play footy in a bubble, you know? And you've got to back that in 100%. I just think that the way Sean has handled this has been unreal. And um, I know that on on the YKTR podcast, the boys sort of said, like, it's really shit by Fox to put him in this spot. And it probably is. You know, he probably should have been told before he had the interview what was coming. But I think it's also a sign of the times that maybe Fox Sports respected that they had the right guy to ask him. Yeah, they didn't go and get a young kid. They didn't go and get a Hamlin Ueli who was really excited after scoring a try and was told this stuff. They went and got true voices of our game, one of the true leaders in our game, and a guy that handles situations really well now, which I can't believe is Sean Johnson. I never thought it was going to be him, to be honest with you. Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine Sean Johnson would be that guy, but he really has developed as a footballer and as a person. I think it's a fantastic effort. Might seem like a non-event to a lot of people, and that's fair enough. That's up to you. But for me, I thought this was massive from Sean Johnson, a real show of maturity, maturity and responsibility in our game, which he now has and that he now holds. He's one of the true voices of our game, guys like him and DCE that they really handle themselves well in these situations. They might not be your favorite guys and that's fine, but they do handle themselves incredibly well in these situations in a moment that would have been so disappointing for Sean Johnson. I can just imagine a million things running through his head. Main's concerns would be his wife and his family. They're going to essentially be left on their own with no support really over here. It's going to be a really tough gig for a lot of guys in the NRL. I think we need to respect what they're doing. And a lot of guys in the tier below that, a lot of these teams are going to take extra players now that they normally wouldn't have in their squad. So guys that have not prepared to move away in any way, shape or form, guys that potentially have other jobs that they're going to have to leave during this time. You don't know how it's all going to play out over the next few weeks. So a lot of sacrifices being made. Of course, the New Zealand Warriors, the Melbourne Storm, they've been doing it for a long time and well done to them. They've done it incredibly well, but it's going to be a big test for the rest of these teams and the rest of the players as well. Uh, We're going to go deep on that tomorrow. We heard Cam Smith talking about it the other day, which is really interesting. And for me, I think right now, everyone going into these hubs, I think it helps the Melbourne Storm even more. They've been there. They've done it. They know how to handle it. They've won a comp in this situation before. It is a massive, massive advantage for the Melbourne Storm to have. But our point of this podcast was, of course, Sean Johnson. I think he handled that so well. I think he's developed so well as a footballer over the last few years. He's not that highlights guy anymore. He's a guy that you can rely on to close out a game. He's done it on a number of times this year. He did it again the other night as well for the Cronulla Sharks, and he's going to do it for the New Zealand Warriors next year. Very excited to see him land back there, which I never thought I would be. I always thought that if he went back there, it would be a mistake that they're falling into their old ways, but I think it's a really good move now. Really love the way that Sean Johnson's going about his business right now. Even he's the guy that tweeted out the other day, we should take the game to New Zealand. You know, a sensational idea. So like, like oh, Obviously, Sean Johnson potentially a, a little bit biased being a Kiwi himself, but the Kiwis have given up so much this year and probably will still keep giving it up next year depending on how this whole situation goes. It's crazy. Um, so just a guy that his voice, it holds so much value now, whereas, you know, when he left the New Zealand Warriors, it didn't really. I'm not sure how much value it held in New Zealand. 
let alone in the NRL. Now a guy that his voice is important throughout the entire competition. A sensational transition by Sean Johnson. As I said at the start, his character arc has been unreal. Very impressed with SJ and how he's handling himself at the moment. Hopefully his family and everyone else's family in the rugby league circles gets through this next month. Hopefully it's just a month. All good. It is going to be a tough time. Get behind your team. Get behind your players. Let them know that you're there to support them. Send them a message on social media. Comment on one of those photos. Thank them for what they're doing. Don't jump on there and abuse the living shit out of them because they make a mistake in their game of footy. They're going through a lot at the moment, same as everyone else is. Get behind you, boys. Now, today on YKTR, the mag, Justin Horror, he dropped his three best 17 coming out of the Sydney hubs. Now, of course, we have the Sunshine Coast hub, which is the Sydney Roosters, the Penrith Panthers, Newcastle Knights, and the Manly Seagulls. So, Hoz, he picked his best team out of those four sides. He then picked also his Brisbane hub. A reminder, the Brisbane hub is the Dragons, the Sharks, and the West Tigers. And then we have the Gold Coast hub as well, which is the Parramatta Eels, the Canterbury Bulldogs, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the Canberra Raiders, and the New Zealand Warriors. So obviously with these three teams, pretty difficult because, you know, all the teams have different amount of players coming from each of them. Obviously the Gold Coast Hub has five teams to pick from. Brisbane Hub only has three, and the Sunshine Coast one has four. But a little bit of fun content that I enjoyed having a look at and having a look at these teams. We're going to go through them now and discuss who I think would win the comp. I haven't really looked at the teams too closely yet, so I'm going to be doing it live for you guys as well. But YKTR The Mag, always bringing out some pretty good content. I always enjoy reading these. They're really quick. They're really sharp to the point. No waffling on like like a lot of other media write-ups that you uh, read each day. So I really enjoy these ones by the scope. Now, the Sunny Coast Hub, which of course is the Roosters, the Panthers, the Knights, and the Seagulls. A pretty star-studded side here, I'm imagining. I'm picturing you're going to have Teddy, you're going to have Tom Travojevic. I imagine he's picked Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai. Maybe not because they're injured. I'll have to see uh, what decision scope makes with that. But then you've also got KB, KP, Piercy, these sort of guys. So I imagine... This team is going to be damn strong. And just before I look at the sides, I think this one will be the strongest. But the Sunshine Coast hub, we've got James Tedesco at fullback. On the wings, Daniel Tubu and Brian Toto. Your back three, it's hard to get much better than that. Very impressive. In the centers, wow. Tom Travojevic and Joey Manu. Your halves, he's gone for Nathan Cleary at seven. He's gone for DCE at six. So it looks like Jerome Luai, he might miss this side. Obviously, we've just gone through the back line. We've had Teddy. We've had Turbo. Joey Manu, no sign of Kalen Ponga yet. So we'll see where Scope picks him. Might be on the pine. Forward pack, wow. Okay. Okay, James Fisher-Harris up front with Jason Taumalolo in the front row. That's weird. Uh, in number nine, we have Appy Curacao. The second row is Angus Crichton and Isaiah Yo. And in jersey 13, he's gone for Jake Travojevic. That is one hell of a lineup there. On the bench, jersey 14, KP coming off the bench. Imagine having that much wealth that you can put KP on the bench. Scary, scary side, this. On the bench, Victor Radley, Siwa Takiaho, and Daniel Saifiti. An unreal side there. I'm going to make the early call. I think that one is going to be very, very hard to beat just quietly. And you've really left out a lot of talented players out of that side as well. So that could have been anything. The Brisbane Hub. 
which is, of course, made up of the St. George Illawarra Dragons, the Cronulla Sharks, and the West Tigers. Let's see how this team goes. And just having a look at it quickly, I think what Scope has done is that he's allowed Broncos players and Melbourne Storm players as well to be featured in this Brisbane hub, which I guess is fair enough. There are only three Sydney teams in this one, so it's a good way to even it up. But those two sides, they definitely do dominate this Brisbane hub team. Let's have a look at it. We've got Ryan Pappenhausen at fullback. Fingers crossed we get to see him back soon. On the wings, Josh Adokar and Ronaldo Mulatalo. In the centre, Zach Lomax and Katoni Stagg. Star-studded young centre pairing, two superstars. 5'8", Cam Munster, 7", Jerome Hughes. So, so far, We've got an all-Melbourne Storm spine in this team. Jesse Bromwich and Payne Haas up front with the cheese at nine. So an all-Melbourne Storm spine there in the Brisbane hub. In the second row, Tariq Sims and Felice Kafusi with Dale Finucan in jersey 13. On the bench, 14, Harry Grant. 15, Kenny Bromwich. 16, Jack DeBellin. 17, Nelson Asafa Solomona. Thank God Scope was allowed to use the Melbourne Storm players because I think without it, this wouldn't have been a pretty good grim team. Obviously, it's the Melbourne Storm players here in this Brisbane hub team that are really keeping this side alive. Of course, he's named a coach as well. Craig Bellamy's the coach of this side, and Trent Robinson was the coach of the Sunny Coast hub side. Um, a pretty good side there. Definitely not as good as the Sunny Coast side for me, though. That's an unreal team that he's picked there. We go to the Gold Coast side now, and of course, the Gold Coast hub is picked from Parramatta Eels, the Canterbury Bulldogs, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the Canberra Raiders, the New Zealand Warriors. So a couple of young guns to pick from there. I imagine that the South Spine will feature reasonably heavily. A couple of stars to come from the Warriors and the Eels as well. Interesting to see if any Canterbury Bulldogs players make it. Maybe one or two from the Canberra Raiders as well, but we'll see how we go. From the Gold Coast Hub at fullback, Clint Gutherson. On the wings, Roger Tuovasashek and Micah Sivo. What about that back three? In the centres, we've gone for Dane Gagai and Latrell Mitchell, two Origin superstars. Six, Jack Whiten. Seven, Cody Walker. Wow. Hasn't gone for Adam Reynolds. Very, very interesting there. Junior Paulo up front with Josh Papali. Damian Cook at nine. Isaiah Papali'i and Tohu Harris in the second row with Cam Murray at 13. On the bench, Dylan Brown, David Fafita, Big Tino at Adam Fanua Blake. So no Canterbury Bulldogs selected there. And wow, no Adam Reynolds. I'm shocked by that one, to be honest with you. I definitely would have had Reynolds at seven and Cody Walker at six. And I would have had Jack White and just somewhere else in the team, maybe Jersey 14. I don't know, but Adam Reynolds, uh, he's been left out of the New South Wales team, which was probably hard done by then. He's been left out of the Gold Coast hub team by Justin Horrow, a tough gig there. Wayne Bennett, of course, the coach for that team, if I didn't mention that. Um, Look, a strong side. I think it could have been picked better, to be honest with you. I think that leaving Adam Reynolds out is definitely a mistake. He's a guy I would have picked, but I'll tell you what, I just keep coming back to this sunny coast hub team. They are unreal. Just to remind you, this team, could you imagine this team? I reckon this side could give the New South Wales Blues a serious run for their money. This team would be unreal. Tedesco at fullback, 2-2 on one wing with Brian Toto on the other side. Tom Travojevic in the centres with Joey Manu. Imagine marking these two in the centres, and you would give them a licence just to roam around. These are probably two of the most dangerous, unorthodox centres in the game. No doubt Latrell Mitchell, he's the best centre in the game for me. But these two, if you let them play at centre and you let them float around like Turbo and Joey Manu, well, what Turbo's been doing for New South Wales and what Joey Manu does for the Roosters, I mean, they would just be lethal, these two. Nathan Cleary. 
the best seven in our game at the moment. And then DCE at six, one of the most experienced guys. And I'd love to see what you get out of DCE if you did use him in a team like this where he wasn't he wasn't forced to steer the ship around. You can let Nathan Cleary do that and play his brand of footy and then just let DCE pop up here and there. I think it would be really dangerous. I think we undervalue the vision that DCE has, especially on his long balls. God, he's got a peach of a long ball, DCE. Up front, James Tishaharis and Jason Taumalolo. I mean, can your front row get any more dangerous than that? Abby Curacao at nine, a guy that makes his origin debut this year. But, I mean, he's lost, what, a game or two of football in the last two years? Absolute freak, Abby Curacao. And behind this pack, he would be so damaging. you got Angus Crichton on one edge. I think he's the best back row in the game at the moment. You've also got Isaiah Yo, who has been playing lock for the Penrith Panthers. But with his sort of frame, I talk about him a lot. He's a big, tall body. He's got a lot of leg drive as well. Isaiah Yo, he's played a heap in the back row and even out in the center, so he'd handle himself out there just fine. And then Jake Travojevich at 13 would be just so damaging. Obviously brings a little bit of that ball playing to the game as well. Uh, and then on the bench, Victor Radley, Takiaho, Daniel Saifidi. I mean, Daniel Saifidi's an out-and-out front rower. Takiaho, he's played a little bit at 13. Victor Radley's arguably the best 13 in the game. So when you look at this side, you've got Taumalolo, you've got Yo, you've got Travojevic, and you've got Radley, all guys that are first-choice lock forwards in their footy team. This is an unreal side. And then, of course, Kalen Ponger at 14. I mean, can it get any more lethal than that? Imagine bringing KP off the bench late in the game behind this forward pack. It would be unreal. I think the scope, he knew from the start, the Sunny Coast team was going to be unreal. I mean, if you give the Roosters and the Panthers to pick from, and then you throw in Tom Travojevic and KP, this team, they're always going to be really hard to beat. The Penrith Panthers forward pack alone is unreal. A couple of roosters in there that are absolute stars of our game. So for me, it was the Sunshine Coast hub that would have won this by a country mile. I think the Brisbane hub, they were probably the second best team, but only because they were given Melbourne Storm players and a couple of really key Broncos in Stags and Payne Haas. If you take those guys out, I think it's a real battler of a team when you're picking between the Dragons, the Sharks and the West Tigers. Gold Coast hub was a solid side. I just don't think it had the upside of these other two teams. I think it would come down to the Sunshine Coast and the Brisbane Hub, but I think there's daylight between the two. The Sunshine Coast team, definitely the winner for me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm going to kick into our origin review. Uh, the game has just finished. I'm here Wednesday night in the studio. You'll be hearing this Thursday morning. Uh, so I'm sure you would have read through a lot of social media uh, comments and a lot of response from a lot of fans out there, their opinions on this game. And look, I thought it was a really good game of origin. I thought it was a more traditional sort of game of state of origin. Uh, Queensland 20, New South Wales 18. Fantastic to see the Queenslanders get up for this game. Um, I know a lot of people are pointing out that if we had our halves, we'd probably win this game. But I mean, it is what it is. You play with injuries. Queensland had to play with injuries in the first two games. I mean, it is what it is. Deal with it. Queensland, 
they were the better team on the night. I thought they played really well. I thought that they... I, I thought Kalen Ponga was a massive difference. Uh, he's a guy that came into this squad, and, I mean, the importance of fullbacks in the modern game, it is just unmeasurable, in my opinion. He was so important and made such a difference to their side. They just look so much more silky with him in the lineup. I thought some of his kick returns were unreal. He just troubled New South Wales the entire night. Some of his touches were great. There was a try that Ben Hunt scored in the back end, which we'll come to more. He had a big hand in that one. A lot of people saying that he knocked it on two, three, maybe four times. Uh, it is what it is. It went through. It played on. He played a fantastic role in that try, KP, for me. Uh, we can bitch and whine about referee decisions and all this shit all we want. New South Wales had so many opportunities to win that game. It was not even funny. Another big moment, Tom Travojevic takes the game straight up through the guts like he always does, straight through the middle. It's a two-on-one with KP. He's got Mitch Moses looming up on his outside, and KP, he comes up with a huge play to stop that try. I think it's a moment in that game that is really underrated and underappreciated. With Tommy Travojevic coming down at you with a two-on-one, I mean, if you stop a try... With Tom Travojevic coming at you with a two-on-one, that is just an incredible effort. I thought KP, the energy that he brought to this side was unreal. And, I mean, the more I watch KP play Origin, and you got to remember, KP, he didn't play last year. He missed Game 3 of the 2019 series. He has sort of played patchy games here and there because of injury. He missed the first two games this year. I'm sorry, but every game that KP plays for the Queensland Maroons, he is unreal in. I think he is becoming a genuine Origin player, to be honest with you. As I said this afternoon when I spoke about uh, my preview and everything, I think we still underrate this guy when it comes to the Origin arena. I've got a lot of time for KP as far as Queensland goes. I think he's been unreal just about every single time he's put on that jersey. And I think he's going to be a guy that is going to terrorize us for a number of years to come. I mean, there's only a few weeks I was sitting here listening to people tell me that AJ Brimson should be the fullback over him. I think it is just so backwards. I love AJ. I think he's going to be a great 14, but you cannot possibly not pick Caelan Ponga at fullback. If Queensland ever decide that Caelan Ponga isn't their first choice fullback over the next few years, as a New South Wales fan, I will be stoked. I will be absolutely stoked. I know he hasn't gone to that next level at club level consistently, but my God, he has shown on the biggest stages in State of Origin that he can not only handle himself, but he can be one of the most dominant players on the field, Caelan Ponga. I've got so much time for him. I think he's a sensational player. Another guy that I mentioned this afternoon it was going to be a big night for him was Ben Hunt. Now, obviously, you look at the future of Queensland. Harry Grant's going to be the hooker for a couple of years. You've got Reed Mahoney, Reed Mahoney sorry, uh, biting away at his heels. You've got AJ Brimson you've got to fit to this side. You're going to have Reese Walsh you've got to fit to this side. You've got to have Sam Walker over the next few years. You've got to find a spot for him in this side. Ben Hunt, he could be the guy the music stops and he doesn't have a chair. And I said that if Queensland are going to win this game, he has to play 80 minutes. There's no question that he has to play 80 minutes. And my God, didn't Ben Hunt deliver? I was so happy to see him see him play so well. I think he's earned a lot of respect off people, which he should have earned a long time ago. I think it's ridiculous the way that people treat Ben Hunt, but he played the full 80 minutes. He scored two tries in the last 25 minutes that were crucial to this game. It got Queensland in front and put them in the, in, in the front seat for this game. I thought Ben Hunt was sensational. Even to score that second try, to be where he was... You think about playing hooker, he ends up getting the ball essentially on the left-hand side tram line just to be staying alive, to be pushing up on that play still, to just click into natural instincts. This is what I talked about with the Maroons. They just have to click into natural instincts and free up space for their spine players. I thought they did that really well in this game. I thought Ben Hunt was sensational. I think he's put his hand up and said, hey, when you're picking this team next year, don't forget about me. You forgot about me at the start of this series. Don't forget about me. I'm a true origin player. I love Ben Hunt. I love everything he's about. As I said this afternoon, you all want to give him shit for how much he's paid. It's not his fault. 
He didn't write his contract. Some other Muppets did. His manager's a genius. Ben Hunt can play football. He's shown it time and time again. As I said this afternoon, I just I don't think he is a halfback. I think he is an out-and-out hooker. He is a brilliant hooker. He was fantastic tonight, Ben Hunt. So well done to him. Answered a lot of question marks that were being held over his head there. Big Tino. I thought he was great. In the little burst of impact that he had, I thought Tino was unreal. Obviously set up that try uh, for the hammer. That was a great moment watching him score, coming up and dabbing after, seeing how happy he was. Sensational. But a great line that Tino ran on that play. A brilliant offload. He had a sensational game, Tino. Um, I thought Josh Papali and Mo Waker. they were the two best forwards on the field, though. Mo Waker. He is unreal. My God. I, I I think the New South Wales bench was better, to be honest with you. I think that Angus Crichton and Payne Haas together, they had such a huge impact for New South Wales. But Mo Fodawaker, he just kept that flag flying. He is such a talented footballer. I've been talking about him for a long time, saying that if he was at a, at a Sydney club, if he was at Melbourne, or if he was at the Roosters, one of these teams, we would have him in our top three or four front rowers in the game, I think. Mo Fodawaker, an unbelievable player. He will be picked in the, every Queensland Origin team for the next decade. He is going to really terrorise us. And you've got to think, he's still growing into his body. He's still working out the sort of footballer he's going to be. But he's got Origin wrapped around his head. He understands what it's about. I've been so impressed with Mo Waker this year. Next year, you're going to get Lindsay Collins back. That's going to be sensational to pair up with Mo Waker and this Queensland team. I think they're going to be a different beast just quietly. Uh, Joshua Parley, as I mentioned, I thought he was great. Such a fantastic leader, really took it to them. They obviously lost Val Holmes during this game. That was a big stinger as well. Uh, AJ Brimson went out there to play in the centres. They had to move Hamiso uh, out to the wing, which hurt their combinations a little bit. But I thought AJ did a really good job. Unfortunately, we didn't really see much of the hammer after that. And, you know, that can happen when you get shoved out to the wing, especially the way that the Blues defend. They just get up and in in your face, and they just weren't able to get that ball over to Hammer and create any space for him, uh, which was disappointing. Uh, Uh, I'm hearing that Val Holmes, it's looking like a two to four week injury, which is uh, very disappointing for him and very disappointing for the Cowboys as well. Obviously a team that's trying to push their way into the NRL finals for 2021. If they lose Val Holmes for a month, that is going to be a massive loss for them moving forward. Look, for the New South Wales Blues, I thought Latrell Mitchell was probably one of the best on the field, if not the best on the field tonight. I thought he was unreal. Uh, All things considered that I don't think Jack Whiten probably used him properly, realistically. We spoke about this this afternoon, that Jack Whiten, he is a natural-born runner. He's not a ball player. I think there was a lot of times that there was space out there. But Jack Whiten, he's not that sort of 5'8". He's a take-him-on, give-it-to-him sort of 5'8". He scored one good try. I think he came up with a couple of poor options at different times, but... The reality is that's the sort of 5'8 Jack Whiten is, and that's the sort of football that they build around in Canberra. Jack Whiten just taking them on, and they know in Canberra that if it doesn't work, they're going to bully them in defense. They're going to hold them down there. It's worked for them the last two years or so. Not so much this year. But look, oh, and I'm hearing all these people messaging me and all this shit. Why isn't Reynolds and Walker there? Look, I don't know how, like how else to explain this to people, that it is so blatantly obvious that Freddie was just looking to the future. He was looking to the future to see if he could pick these other guys and they were able to handle themselves if they had injuries. And this is where it becomes important. You need to be able to know if you can pick guys again. A guy that's obviously going to come under the microscope, and I've already seen a lot of people fucking bagging him, is Mitch Moses. Now, I thought Moses handled himself pretty well, to be honest with you. It was a clunky start. Uh, No doubt about it. You know what it kind of looked like? It kind of looked like a halfback who was on origin debut playing with a 5'8", who's not really a genuine 5'8", who's... You know, they've never played together. And with a hooker that they've never played with as well. I mean, it was a little bit clunky to start, yes, but it wasn't a nightmare. It really wasn't. 
it was, I mean, I, I think early in the piece, Damien Cook and Isaiah Yo probably didn't do a heap of favours for um, for young Mitch Moses. I think they made life a little bit hard for him early with a couple of wayward passes. I think Cook took the wrong option a couple of times in the really early pieces. After that, Cook was unreal. I thought it was his best origin game. I've seen Cook play in a while after he got through the early stages. I was actually really surprised when they brought Appy off uh, to put, uh, when they brought Appy on to bring Damien Cook off. I was very surprised. I thought Cook was braining it. I sort of said to my mates at that point, I don't know if you can bring Cook off here. He's going that good. Uh, and as I said earlier, today, like he's had a pretty quiet series realistically. But Cook, he really stood up in that last game. Um, look, I think Mitch Moses, he had a strong game. He obviously came up with that try assist for Appy Curacao, put in the first kick, uh, wrapped around to get it back, put in another good kick playing off the top of his head. It was a perfect kick. I mean, best worst case scenario, it was a line dropout sort of worthy kick. Abby Curacao came up with a big play on, on that kick and came up with a try there, which was sensational. Got Nishith Wales back into it. There was a moment for me, though, and if I was Brad Fittler, I would be sitting down and watching this play with Mitch Moses. And it wasn't really mentioned in commentary. I'm not sure how many people noticed it. But on the second try that Ben Hunt scored, Kalen Ponga makes the break down the right edge. They throw it around. The ball hits the ground two or three times. Complete chaos. Then it goes out to that edge. And the ball sort of goes past Mitch Moses. And he, he sort of has an opportunity to either jog around in the background and get ready for the next play or really close the gate and show urgency. And if you go and watch the replay, you sort of get a very blase Mitch Moses. And I think in that moment, he realized what had happened. And he sort of tried to get himself out of the picture. Go and watch it again for yourself. But it's that moment that I'd be saying to Mitch Moses, hey, you're the halfback. You've got to own the results of these games of football in these moments. This is where we need you to roll up your sleeves. And look, to Mitch Moses' credit, I thought he defended unbelievably tonight. I thought he defended really well. And once again, to Mitch Moses' credit, over the last 18 months, his defense has improved out of sight. He was always a guy that sort of hid away from the tough stuff. He's not doing that anymore. As much as people want to bag him and give him shit and put the whole game on him for because you don't understand football, I thought Mitch Moses was pretty solid. I think he handled himself well, but there was that one moment, that one instance there where I'd showing Mitch and I'd be going hey that's not quite what Origin's about yeah that's not what Origin's about and dare I say I don't think Nathan Cleary would have done that in that play he would have shown urgency he would have been all over the ball there was a bit of overlap and they needed every single man to be on that ball and of course the moment there where Ben Hunt decides I'm going to come off my left foot and go back inside and it's sort of the hole that Mitch Moses leaves there by sort of uh, piddle-paddling around behind the play. Behind the play, So go and have a look at that play. That's the one thing I would show to Moses and say, hey, this needs to be better. This is the sort of urgency that needs to be shown in the Origin Arena. I, you know, In club footy, you can probably get away with it, but the Origin Arena, when it comes down to just individual moments that decide games, you need that little bit extra. I always used to love when Phil Good used to go through those old origin plays, and there was always one with Thurston that he showed just how much work he did off the ball to get to where he needed to be. And it's one of those moments with Mitch Moses that I think there's a lot of lessons to be taken from it. Outside of that, for an origin debut, I thought Moses did pretty well. He kicked really well. There was one kick that was a bit wayward that landed in the goals in the full. It bounced up, thank God. They managed to get a line dropout out of it. That was not a good kick. He got very lucky on that play. But outside of that, I thought Moses did well. He always gave a lot of space to Jack Whiten. I think if you put Jerome Luai in at 5'8", to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, it's a very different game when we look at Mitch Moses' game very differently because he did give Jack Whiten a lot of opportunities, but Jack Whiten is just a run-first footballer, yeah. You go and watch the try that he scored. It's simple stuff what Moses is doing, but that's a halfback's job. Yeah, it's the halfback's job to run the right, right line, straighten it up, take your edge back row, create that little half a second advantage for your 5'8", and he did that on a number of occasions. 
Jack White didn't quite have the skill set to execute on a few of those times, though. So for Mitch Moses, for me, it's definitely a pass. I know everyone will bag him, and I think I saw Clarkie put up a thing about rate his game, and everyone just got stuck into him. I think it's bullshit. The, the thing about Mitch Moses is that he's going to cop crap no matter what he does. Mitch Moses had to have a huge highlights game for him to do well. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. Let's say, for example, if Kalen Ponga doesn't knock down that pass that Tom Travojevic threw to Mitch Moses, and let's say New South Wales win this 24-20 to 20, off the back of that try that Mitch Moses scores, Mitch Moses is all of a sudden a hero. Now, all that happened was that Mitch Moses didn't get the ball. All that happened was that he didn't get the ball. If New South Wales win and you and all these people that are bagging on, on social media go to the stat sheet and go, well, hold on. Mitch Moses, one try and a try assist. Fuck, that's pretty good for an origin performance. The only difference was that the pass didn't get to Moses because Kalen Ponga came up with that huge play. And if Kalen Ponga goes to that play and misses and Tom Trevojevic scores, it's a completely different story. If he manages to get it to Mitch Moses, which let's be honest here, if there's probably any other fullback than Kalen Ponga there in that moment, Mitch Moses scores under the sticks. All of a sudden, he's got one try, one try assist. We ignore all the other shit, and Mitch Moses did well in origin. That's the reality of how people react to football games nowadays, and it really is embarrassing. We are a stats-driven response. We look at highlights, and Mitch Moses would have had his finger, his fingerprints on a try assist and a try, and we would have set a good game. Mitch Moses played well in that. He well and truly got a pass from me. I think that anyone that's saying he didn't play well, you already made up your mind before this game kicked off. Just my opinion. Um, I think Brian To'o, uh, there was a huge play there where he knocked the ball on, and Dane Gagai came up with a try, well, seemingly came up with a try. Now, Brian To'o, he knocked the ball, he knocked the ball backwards on about the 10-meter line. He got back into the goals and he knocked it out of Gagai's hand and I mean Brian Toto's done this two or three times during this Origin Series now and he's come up with massive plays I, I've been so impressed with Brian Toto he's a guy that like all my cards on the table I still thought at the start of the series it was going to be a risk picking him because I thought he was going to be a kick target but all over my face. I think he still was a kick target. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't execute on it. And he managed to do enough to stop each and every one of those tries. So well done to Brian Toto. A sensational series. Another one that I think is going to be in this team for quite some time. He was very, very impressive. Um, I thought Dale Finucane coming back in his first game in a while for New South Wales obviously didn't play this series at all until game three. I thought he was great. He is the sort of guy that I understand why there's so many teams trying to get their hand on this guy. He was unreal. Um... One guy that I think had a real coming-of-age series is uh, Cam Murray. Now, Cam Murray, I think for the last few years, it's sort of been... He's been incredibly impressive. He's never let us down in state of origin, but I think he's always been a guy that we look at and we're like, oh, geez, he's doing well for his age. Geez, he plays above his uh, above his age. I think he really came of age this series. I think this is what you're going to get from Cam Murray year in, year out. It was sensational thing. I, I think he is one of the best forwards in our game. I think he's a top five forward in our game now, to be perfectly honest with you, potentially a top three. I think he's so undervalued, so underrated. He's a sensational player, Cam Murray, and he's one that Freddie will be really excited about moving forward. I think he'd probably be the next skipper of New South Wales, probably after Teddy. I think he's a really good hope to be that next guy. So a sensational leader, Cam Murray. I think he's been so impressive this series, as has Tariq. Sims. Uh, Tom Travojevic, he came up with the Wally Lewis medal, which I think was fair enough. Uh, he was just dominant in all three games. He, he just had a hand in just about everything in all those games. He came up with a couple of plays uh, in the game tonight that could have won that game for New South Wales. Once again, I go back to that, mo- that moment where he could have set up Mitch Mosey, could have gone himself and won the game there. But the way that he injects himself is just unbelievable. He is just on another level at the moment, Tom Trevojevic. It's been unreal. And when you consider as well, I mean, he's probably played, what, 
10 games in the last year, essentially. Uh, three of them now have been state of origin. So uh, he, he's unreal at the moment, Tommy Turbo, and he's got a big few years ahead of him. And hopefully with the Manly Seagulls, he's got a big few years ahead of him. Uh, yeah, just back to Queensland. I just thought they were really impressive to get the job done here. Uh, a really spirited performance. I know that they had a lot of six again calls and there was a couple of calls that were controversial and whatnot, but shit happens. Yeah, shit happens. They've had a lot go against them this entire series as well. Yeah, let's not pretend like New South Wales have had a golden path laid out. Like, it has been difficult for Queensland, yeah? They've had some tough times. They've had some tough breaks. They had Reese Walsh got injured um, in the lead-up to Game 2. They had Christian Welsh get injured in Game 1. They had Josh Papali miss Game 1. They've had a tough, tough of, couple of tough breaks, no doubt about it. For me, New South Wales was the best team throughout the series, and I think there's any questioning that. Queensland, they had tough breaks, but tonight they had a couple of things go their way, and you've got to take advantage of those things, and they did. Fantastic to see Latrell Mitchell go to a new level as well. I think that was unreal. I felt really sorry for Dane Gagai this Origin Series. I think if you watch a lot of those tries that New South Wales scored tonight especially, uh, a lot came through that edge where DCE defends. He's He's got a really bad habit of turning his shoulder in and biting really quickly. And I think it's something that teams are able, the, the good sides are able to take advantage of quite easily. You can see it on the Jack White and try and a couple of other times throughout that series. And I feel like... Dane Gagai, as if his job wasn't hard enough marking Latrell Mitchell in potentially career-best form. Um, last game, he obviously had Kyle Felt outside him. That was a bit of a nightmare, as I spoke about. Uh, he's no stranger to making a poor decision. And DCE inside him has always just been a bit of an iffy defender, and I think he was during this series as well. Interesting to see for DCE if he is picked next year again. Obviously won that third game, which was great. Uh, didn't have huge impact realistically, DCE. Ben Hunt was probably the star of that one as far as the spine goes, along with KP. Munster had some good touches as well, but not really the Munster that um, I like to talk about all the time with the huge, huge high-end ceiling potential. But I think as we look forward into the future, this Queensland team, I, I don't think it's going to be a whitewash. And I, I think that the early talk of all the dynasty and everything, I think you've seen how much of a different team they are with Caelan Ponga back in there. And I think they really are going to give uh, this New South Wales team a really good shake over the next few years. I think the coaching staff will change. I think Paul Green um, has coached his last game for Queensland, to be perfectly honest with you, I think you will see changes there. I don't know who you bring in, but I mean, you've got to start considering Wayne Bennett, don't you? Uh, I mean, a guy that at the moment, he doesn't have a team to coach next year to bring Wayne out to coach those three games next season. I think it would be sensational. Whether Wayne is willing to do it or not, I don't know. But I think it's a phone call that you probably have to make because as much as there isn't as much talent as New South Wales, I think there is enough talent to get by for this Queensland side. There's just enough backs if they're all fit to put together a really strong back line. And once you've got KP, once you've got um, you know, Munster, DCE, you've got Ben Hunt floating around there, you've got Sam Walker coming through, you've got Reese Walsh coming through. There is enough talent to get by, and then you just need all your forwards on deck. So once they've got this full front row rotation, obviously, when, when you have a look at their side for next year, you've got Mo Fodawaka, Josh Papali, Christian Walsh. Uh, you're going to bring back in the Roosters front row as well. Once you have those four guys, I mean... There's your two starters, and there's your two bench guys that can really add a lot to your team. You've got to bring Jai Arrow back into this side as well. So I think there is upside for Queensland moving forward. I don't think New South Wales is about to head on an eight- or ten-year dynasty like people are messaging me saying that is going to occur. They were very impressive this year, no doubt about it. 
But I think Queensland, there's a lot of things they can do to close the gap next year. A lot of things they can do. Um, congratulations to all the boys that made their debut. That was sensational to see. I thought the Moses um, and Appy, they were really good in their stints that they came on. I wasn't sure if Appy was going to get on the field because Cook was going so well, but he came on. He had some really good impact, Appy. So congratulations to him. Obviously a premiership winner in 2014. It's taken him a long time to get to the Origin Arena, but it's well-deserved. Mitch Moses as well. For all the shitty cops, he is a really talented young footballer. He's got a lot to offer, and he's just starting to head into the peak of his powers now. Uh, interesting to see if he can become that winner that I've spoken about for a long time that Parramatta need. Uh, this sort of experience on the big stage, and even the experience during the week, I think it would have been sensational for Mitch Moses. And as much as he didn't get the win tonight, I think he proved to himself that he can handle these big stages. As I said, a lot of people will say he was shit and he was crap, and all this absolute fucking dribble. He handled himself pretty well on that stage in a combo that he hadn't played in before. And it was, yeah, I thought he did well. You know, only had a week to prepare. They moved the game around and whatnot during these COVID times. Not easy. I thought he handled himself well. I I thought Jack White, and as much as he scored a try, I thought he was a little bit more disappointing, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. The couple of times that they got last tackle options down that left edge, I, I don't think he made great decisions either. Um, but you sort of that, that's always been Jack White and realistically he's got a huge high end ceiling but when he's not on it's not brilliant and when you really need him to be a real decision maker he can let you down um, yeah look I, I think that with the with the halves probably coming coming into that side the Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai back in that side New South Wales probably do win um, but I mean, anything can happen. Yeah, that might have pushed Queensland to go to a new level. They might have been even better coming up against that opposition. You, you just you, you can't say, oh, you know, Queensland won, but they wouldn't have won if these guys were there. It definitely wouldn't have happened. That's not the reality of rugby league. Yeah, that's not how it works. Oh, I felt like Queensland tonight, they were always just doing enough, just doing enough, just doing what they had to do to win that game. So all credit to Queensland, a sensational win there, showing some spirit in that jersey once again. It was great to see. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a moment there where, Cam Murray knocked the ball on off of a tackle from Munster and I just love the, the passion that Munster showed in that moment just got stuck into Cam Murray Murray didn't do anything wrong didn't really deserve it but it's just saying fuck you I want this and that's what we haven't seen from Queensland yeah you saw Latrell Mitchell carrying on after they scored tries, grabbing Gagai, giving it to him and everything. And I just thought it was great to see, yeah, these guys showing spirit, showing that they want to win. We haven't really seen it from Queensland. And, you know, we haven't seen it from Queensland in this series. And as I've said all along, it's been very un-Queensland. This whole series has been very un-Queensland. And it's been... Queensland have looked more like New South Wales over the last few years and they've looked like Queensland. So it was sensational to see them get back uh, to where they have been over the last few years. Yeah, it's a dead rubber. I get it. I understand it. They'll take confidence out of it leading into next year's series, though. Uh, really looking forward to that series next year. As I said, Queensland, they've got a lot more pieces to come back into this side. Got a lot more pieces with a heap of more experience. New South Wales will get their halves back as well. You would assume Cleary and Luai uh, will be the halves in that side next year. But, I mean, Queensland, you get KP back for a full series. Hopefully you get a fully fit Harry Grant. Uh, there's a heap of upside in this side. There is so much upside. It's not even funny. Uh, it's going to be a sensational series next year. Uh, some unsung heroes. I already sort of spoke about them. I think Cam Murray was my biggest unsung hero. He had such a good series for the New South Wales Blues. He was unreal. Mo Waker for Queensland. He was great. He was just so impressive. These two young guys, they have just gone to a new level and shown that this is where they belong. They belong on the big stages, and they will be there for a very long time going forward. So I was unsung heroes, and... You know, he has been pretty well sung, to be honest with you, during this Origin series, but I still think Tariq
Tyreek Sims. He's been unreal. He was absolutely exhausted at the end of that game tonight, and he just kept finding a little bit extra to keep going. I think in game two, he turned that game on its head with that run out of his out of his own 10-meter line on third tackle. They got belted and bashed. Junior Paulo charged up. He got bashed. Tariq Sims just took it and went all the way to the 20-meter. It was a sensational run and a moment that sort of won this series for New South Wales, in my opinion. People forget how how well Queensland came out in Game 2, similar to that, what they did tonight. They just came out of the gates flying, and he really took it to them. His brother posted on my Instagram page a post about Tariq saying, you know, yeah, something about you judge someone during the tough times and then just said, give me that fucking rock. And that's what Tariq did in that moment. A sensational series from him. Egg all over my face. I wouldn't have picked him. I would have definitely gone for some of the guys that were injured in Tyson, Rizal, Angus, Crichton. Even then, I don't think I would have gone for Tariq Sims, to be perfectly honest with you. But he absolutely brained it. A lot of people out there definitely uh, apparently saw it coming. I didn't. You've got a better eye than me. So well done to Tariq Sims. Well done to Brad Fittler as well. Yeah, I mean, here we are two years ago, 2019. He wins that series and he picks... Tom Trevojevic at centre, and everyone goes, oh, I don't know about that. He comes out, he absolutely kills it, and Freddie's a genius. Comes back the next year, and Tom Trevojevic is injured. He needs guys to play centre. He picks a couple of fullbacks out of position. Played Jack White in there. Played uh, Clint Gutherson. Didn't quite work out for him, um, and he was an idiot. Why is he doing that? He needs to pick genuine centres, blah, 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 blah. Same old negative dribble. Comes out this year. Picks Tommy Turbo at the cent- in the centres again. Picks his other centre, who's been playing fullback for the last few weeks. Obviously, he's a genuine centre, Latrell Mitchell, but he's been playing fullback for two years now. Absolutely kills it. They were the two best players in this series with James Tedesco as well. So well done to Freddie. Very well coached. He's got the very best out of Daniel Saifidi. He's got the very best out of Tariq Sims. He's got the absolute best out of Cam Murray. These two halves, Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai, they stepped in the Origin Arena. And for guys that have been had a bit of heat on them for not being able to handle the big stages of the grand final and whatnot, Nathan Cleary not really excelling in Origin before, I mean, Freddie just took him to a new level. Sensational to see. And I think probably Freddie's biggest pick and um, maybe he wouldn't have gone him if Victor Radley wasn't injured, but I think Isaiah Yo, another unsung hero, he was massive this series. A fantastic series for Isaiah Yo, another guy that has just gone to a new level. If I'm the Penrith Panthers right now, I would be very excited seeing the way that these guys have handled themselves heading into the back end of the season. And if I'm the Melbourne Storm, as I said after game two, uh, I'm looking at Munster, I'm looking at Harry Grant, I'm looking at Christian Welsh, all these guys, Felice Cafusi, they're all shitty that they've been embarrassed and had their pants pulled down. This competition, it is shaping up to be an absolute cracker in the back end of the season, especially if these two teams meet, hopefully on grand final day. If not, it's a prelim final. And I'll tell you what, if these two meet in a prelim, they're going to have to win two grand finals in a row to lift that premiership. And whoever plays in the week after, whether it's Manly, South Sydney, Parramatta, the Chooks, you're going to give yourself a damn good hope against that team because they are going to have to put everything into beating each other in the prelim week if that's the way it ends up. Going to be a sensational competition, guys. We've got the part two of our Darren Brown interview coming later this morning, so stay tuned for that. Really excited to bring you that one. More Origin content coming throughout the day. Now that State of Origin is done and dusted, New South Wales winning that series 2-1. I hope you took that tip that we gave you for a number of weeks on our advertisement there. We always were going to take 2-1 with Sportsbet. Uh, that one paid dividends. So hopefully you listen to us on that one. Moving on, though, now to the NRL competition. And, you know, with only a couple of weeks left until finals kick off, realistically, we're in, what, well, we're kicking off round 18 this week. That means there's seven weeks left. So just about two months until we start finals footy. And the most interesting thing here is 
the the this what's going on in New South Wales right now it doesn't seem to be getting any better anytime soon we've already seen the guys have gone into a bubble for four weeks now you could see the potential of that being extended of course the new, the NRL they might not want to take the risk of bringing them back down to Sydney and it potentially screwing up the entire competition I think there's a really good chance that these guys are staying in the NRL bubble up in Queensland for a lot longer than what they're anticipating at the moment um, and that comes with a heap of challenges now last year. Uh, we saw two teams, the New Zealand Warriors and the Melbourne Storm. They obviously went into a bubble up there on the Sunshine Coast, I believe. Uh, I know the Melbourne Storm are on the Sunshine Coast anyway. And I was listening to Cameron Smith talk the other day to uh, Denham Kemp about the challenges that come with that. And the more Cameron Smith talked about it, the more it sort of made sense to me. I mean, you imagine you're living in a hotel uh, as opposed to being at home. And there's a lot of things that can easily just sort of creep into you and become a little bit lazy. I mean, you have someone that comes and cleans your room every day. There's a little bit of that self-maintenance and that sort of self-discipline that could potentially go out of the window. Um, you got, uh, you're got you available to room service whenever you want. So all of a sudden, diet, you know, that becomes a real test for a lot of guys, especially guys that are in teams that, you know, they might not be going too well or guys that are injured and are spending a lot of time just sort of sitting around. All of a sudden, that temptation grows. The buffet you got to walk past every morning. The Like, there's so much extra food that can really challenge a lot of these guys. And fuck, I know it would challenge me. And it sounds, you know, I know they're all professional athletes, but... I mean, they're all just little additional challenges that they wouldn't usually have to face. These guys are also getting pulled out of their routine. I know there's a lot of players that, you know, they play Sunday afternoon. They know which cafe they're going to go to. They know what they're going to have. They know what they're going to have at 11 p.m. They know what they're going to have at 1 p.m. before they kick off at 3 o'clock. They know what music they're going to listen to. They know what they get. Like, they know everything. They know the routine, everything they're going to do. And that's thrown into disarray a little bit and that will affect guys and it'll put guys on edge and different guys will handle it in different ways and I also think the other big test will be just being around each other this much now you saw the way that the Melbourne Storm handled it last year and they just made it look easy you know they really did they just made it look easy uh, you know they, they had ping pong competitions there was jokes going around they had Craig Bellamy getting around wearing a headgear he was the goose of the week for, for a while courtesy of Cooper Johns and the Melbourne Storm handled it unbelievably and I remember about two or three weeks or it's two weeks ago when the Melbourne Storm went back down to Brisbane uh, went back down to Melbourne sorry into a bubble and I spoke to Branko that afternoon I sort of said oh you know what's the feel how did you find out he's like oh it's all happened really quickly blah 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 he said oh I'm just at the airport now but fuck it's got that feel to it again it's got that feel that we're all getting back together we're all going to be back in the bubble and you can tell that the Melbourne Storm really enjoyed it and I mean anything's really enjoyable when you're winning games and you go on to win a premiership. And I guess my big point here is that, you know, the Melbourne Storm are the team that I've tipped the entire season to win this competition. I've said from day one they'll go back-to-back. I tipped them to win the competition last year. They went into this bubble. I look at the Penrith Panthers. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to move away from homes. They didn't have to live in a hotel. They didn't have to do all these things. They got to sleep in their own bed. And I think that stuff matters. Now, all of a sudden, in this competition, every single team has been moved up from Sydney. So that's 12 teams that they haven't done this before. Yes, they've quarantined last year and they lived in the bubble, but that was at home. They went home to their own bed every day. They got to order from their cafe every day. They had their wives, their brothers, their sisters, whatever it might be, able to go and get their cafe, their meal that they like to have. A little bit of a distraction, no doubt about it. But I think coming home, being able to sleep in your own bed, going to training, spending three or four hours with the boys coming home and having time away for them, that's massive. That sort of goes out the window now. 
These guys, they're going to be living with each other 24-7. I mean, any of these guys that have issues with other players, it's going to get sorted out over the next few weeks. You're going to be living side-by-side with these guys. Any little irrits that you have with guys, it's going to start to take a toll. And I think at the moment, the the, the two teams that did it last year, of course, the Melbourne Storm, they handled it unbelievably. They went on to win a premiership. It was unreal. They enjoyed every minute of the experience. They've obviously got guys like Munster, like Brandon Smith, like Christian Welsh, uh, like Cooper Johns, these sort of guys, like Josh Adokar, these are real locker room guys, and these guys are key to footy teams. I think it's something that is really undervalued in rugby league, locker room guys, yeah? They matter, and I think right now, locker room guys, they're going to pay for themselves now. They are going to absolutely pay for themselves during the next four weeks. Those guys in your team that can really lift the spirit of a team at any moment, no matter what's going on, no matter how poorly you're going, they can make the boys laugh. They can bring them together. There's going to be a lot of tough times over the last four weeks. I mean, you have a look around the league. The amount of pictures that I've seen players upload saying goodbye to their kids that are weeks, months. Most of them, the vast majority of them, maximum two or three years old. I mean, they're saying goodbye to them for four weeks. I mean, you can imagine the impact that have that has on their wives, the families, everything. Like, some of these guys are leaving three and four kids behind to their wife. Now, any, anyone that's in a relationship understands the sort of stress that can cause on someone. You, you're going to carry that with you into this camp where you're going to be surrounded by, let's be honest here, some blokes in the same boat, other blokes that are blasé and having the time of their life and enjoying it and probably not realising the bigger picture of the situation. And if things aren't going well on the field... I mean, this can all escalate in these camps really quickly. I, I, I guarantee you over the next four weeks, there's going to be a couple of teams that are going to completely capitulate through the midst of this. The Dragons is going to be an interesting team. I look at the Dragons and I go, you know what? This is a team that getting away from Sydney, getting away from everything, they're obviously a tight-knit bunch. Getting away from everything, this might be good for the Dragons, to be honest. This might be perfect time. And I reckon a few of the Dragons boys would be going, thank fuck, let's get out of here. Let's get away from media. Let's get away from it all. Let's get into this hotel. Let's bunker down ourselves. Time with the boys. Let's enjoy it. We enjoy each other's company. Let's get away from everything else. There'll be other teams that I think they'll get up there. And there will be guys that get on other people's nerves. There's younger heads. There's older heads. There's obviously now guys that are coming into this squad that a lot of older guys wouldn't have spent much time with. It's going to create different cliques. It's going to... Different guys are going to start influencing other guys. It's just the reality of this situation. It's like when you used to go on school camp, things change. Yeah, the social structures and whatnot, they change. And guys end up in little groups. Guys sort of separate. There's going to be little tiffs here and there. It's going to be heated. Everyone's in a really tough situation, yeah? It's going to be tough. Guys are going to be missing their family. Guys are going to have their family at home with shit going wrong. And then there's going to be things that guys are complaining about whilst they're on this camp that they're just going to look at them and go, you've got no fucking idea what I'm going through. There's going to be a lot of tension that comes through this. And I think that the narrative we saw from the Warriors and the Melbourne Storm, they handled it unbelievably well, including the New Zealand Warriors. We obviously saw that a number of guys in their camp just went, it's too hard, I can't do it, I've got to go. I've got to go home. And, you know, that's completely fair enough. I wouldn't dare hold that against anybody. But it's going to be very interesting how other teams handle it. Very, very interesting because now, last year as the New Zealand Warriors, guys went home and was like, fuck, you know what, mate, I, I get it. It's a tough situation. No one else is doing this. I mean, those guys now, is it going to create a bit of controversy in the teams because everyone else is doing it? I mean, will it start to bring up the idea of, oh, well, that team's doing it, that team's doing it, these other 10 teams are doing it? I mean, we're all here together. Why are you leaving? Why are you complaining? Why are you moping around? There's going to be a lot of tests throughout this this four weeks. And, you know, coaches are still going to have to have hard conversations that then the players are going to be surrounded by the other players 24-7. They're not going to have their time to get away. They're going to be in the same 
Hallways as that coach, they're going to be in the same pool. They like there's just it is just a smaller community now, and if things are going well, it's going to be great. It's going to be unreal. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Penrith Panthers handle it. For example, obviously they're going to be missing their two halves for about three or four more weeks, or two or three more weeks, realistically. Um, I mean, if they don't go too well in those two or three weeks. Interesting to see how the Panthers handle it. I personally think they'll be okay. They've got a lot of locker room guys that are massive. You're talking Jerome Luai. You're talking Brian To'o, Viliami, Kikau. They all seem to love him. Mitch Kenny, he's another one that looks like a cracking locker room guy. And I think these guys are going to be really, really crucial over the next few weeks. And I have no doubt the Melbourne Storm, they'll be sitting there going, fucking beauty, this is our backyard. This is what we do. We, we know how to handle this and we know how to win premierships. We know how to keep ourselves to the level that we need to. Maintenance, the looking after yourself, the people coming to clean your room every day, the walking past the buffet, all these little things that are going to play a role throughout the two weeks where guys can become a little bit too comfortable, enjoy the party a little bit too much, you know, stay up a little bit later with your mates, playing PlayStation, whatever it might be, show up to training a little bit more tired. The Melbourne Storm, they know how to stay disciplined. They know how to keep themselves a little bit sidetracked. They know the things that they can do off the field that other players are going to buy into. A lot of these other teams, they're, they're going to have to throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. And it might not be effective. It might not work. You might upset a couple of people. You might drain a few people out in the first few weeks. But there's going to be a lot of things they're going to have to work out. Your training schedules are going to change. Your sleep schedules are going to change. There's a lot of change that goes into this. There's going to be a heap of change. There's going to be a lot of emotional change for a lot of these teams as well. And for me, I'm looking at the Melbourne Storm and I'm looking at them going, you know what, all these other teams have got all these challenges for the next four weeks. could be eight weeks. It could be 12 weeks for all we know. Like, this could be anything. And I look at the Melbourne Storm and I go, you know what, they've already overcome all of this stuff. They know what to do. They know how to handle it. They know that they've got so many locker room guys. They've got Brandon Smith. They've got the Fox. They've got Munster. They've got all these guys that they absolutely love, that enjoy the moment, that enjoy the spotlight, that enjoy making the other blokes happy. They've got guys that have got four-point collectibles. They've got Kenny Bromwich, uh, Jerome Hughes, these guys that have got other side interests that they can take themselves away from footy still. A lot of these other teams don't have that. A lot of these other teams don't. I look at the Newcastle Knights and like KP and um, Connor Watson, um, they're going to go up there. They're going to take all their podcast gear. That's going to be a little outlet for them. Yes, they'll be doing it together, but it's something non-footy related. That's going to be something else they can do each and every week. And a lot of these guys aren't going to have that. It's going to be footy 24-7 without your family to sort of break it up. And it's going to have an effect on a lot of teams. I think it's very interesting how this is all going to play out. I think for the Melbourne Storm, this is another huge advantage. Even if it only goes to four weeks, I mean... Four weeks. You imagine if you had to go four weeks with one of your local teams that you played in or something, the guys, you're not going to love everyone. Let's be honest here. It might look on the outside everyone's best mates. They're not. It's the same as every other workplace. There'd be guys that wouldn't get on together. There'd be guys that wouldn't want to spend too much time together. There'd be guys that can't stand the other fellas. They'll play footy with them. They'll put up with them, but they probably can't stand them. There's guys that would be a lot older that are dealing with family issues and everything going on. Then they're going to be paired up with these teenagers who they're not going to give a fuck. They're not going to give a flying fuck and they're not even going to think about how it's affecting other guys. They'll know about it, but they won't really think about it day to day. There'll be little things they might complain about at the hotel that you know are going to get on other guys' nerves and all this stuff is going to build up over the next few weeks. I I, I cannot wait to see how this all plays out, but my big point of this all is big advantage to the Melbourne Storm. There is no doubt about it. It is a huge advantage to the Melbourne Storm. They know how to do this. They know how their coach is going to handle it. They know how the staff are going to handle it. They know that the locker room guys are going to step up. They're going to make this a fun few weeks. And they know 
that what they do works. They know that the way that they handle this situation led them to a premiership before. They know how to do it. They've climbed the mountain before. You've got 12 other teams who are sitting at the bottom of the mountain going, this is going to be a huge pain in the ass. I miss my family. What the fuck is going on? How are we going to play good football throughout this? Melbourne Storm sitting on the top of the mountain going, we've already done it. Yeah, We've been here. We've done it. We've won a trophy here. This is good memories for us. This is great vibes. I reckon every other team is sitting there going, I don't want to go. The Melbourne Storm are going, beauty, here we go. Premiership season. This is us. We've been here before. We've done it. We're going to do it again. I think this is fantastic for the Melbourne Storm. I think it gives them a big advantage moving forward. When you consider last year, it was a big disadvantage compared to all the other teams. They, st- they still went on to win the Premiership. Very, very interesting times for the NRL. And personally, I think this stuff, it definitely matters. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 